0: god 's love changes your testimony we 're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter eight verses sixteen through um, chapter nine verse seven and we 're going to look at an Old Testament prophecy of of Jesus and him, him, him uh, coming what we 're celebrating today the birth of jesus so uh, let's let 's start with prayer and then we 'll dive into god 's word. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you came to this earth God that You loved us, that you desired to extend your community to include us, Lord. We were outside and you brought us in. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, your presence is with us, God, I pray that we'd be made aware of it this morning, Lord, that um, you would change our lives, that your word would rip through our hearts and speak to us and even change the course of our lives this morning, God. Um, So we ask that your words be heard, not the words of me, Lord, but of you, and um, we just we're just so thankful that you came and that you love this God. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So they said, the title of this morning's sermon is God's Love Changes Your Testimony. You know, I was thinking about the, the holiday season of, that we're, we're in right now. And I was thinking about the way that my wife and I experienced them a little bit Differently. My wife is more of the uh, Buddy the Elf kind of gal, and I'm more like maybe a slightly nicer version of his dad. Okay? So, and it it just got me thinking about how kids and adults, the typical adults, um, you know, experience the Christmas season. You know, when you're a kid, you see the lights and you're like, oh, wow, they're so cool. The lights, I love them. And you hear about a snowstorm coming and you're like, yes. No school. This is great. And, you you know, on Christmas Eve, you're, you're so excited. You're like, Santa's coming. Santa's coming. And I, I wonder how many presents I'm going to get. And Christmas morning, you can't wait to get up. You're jumping out of bed at 4 a.m. And you're waking everybody else up. And you're like, let's go downstairs and see what Santa brought us. Now, when it's Christmas, when you're an adult, things are a little bit different. A little bit more jaded, I might admit. You look at the lights, and you don't get excited. You say, wow, wonder what their electric bill is. (laughs) I, I say, the snowstorm's coming, and you're like, the traffic's gonna be the worst. I don't even wanna leave my house. Christmas Eve comes around, and you're like, wrapping presents? I haven't even bought them yet. How am I gonna pay for them? And waking up early Christmas day, you're like, I'd really rather just sleep in till late in the afternoon. Amen. I'm with you. <laughs> this Christmas, we want to re reawaken wonder in your hearts. To be filled with a hope. A hope that will be fulfilled. Cause and I understand it can be hard to be hopeful. Especially in a world where our lives and everything around us feels really grim. It's tough because in life, you know, they say there's only two things that are certain, right? Death. And taxes. Not very exciting things. So, we're not excited though about the things of the world. That's not what's reawakening hope this morning. You know, we love the presents, we love the lights, we love the food, hopefully, time with family. All those things are great. But we want to turn our hope to and look for joy in Jesus this morning. Because that's why we're here. We're here to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Jesus was and is the living testimony. That the one true God loves you and me. I believe that God wants to change some of our testimonies this morning. Some of us have believed false things about our lives. False things about God and false things about his church. Some of us need our testimonies to change. We've had patterns of destruction in our life. Maybe we made just one bad decision a long time ago. And it set us down a trajectory that we feel like I can never come back from. It leaves us hopeless. Hearing the the baptism testimonies the last few weeks from Iareem and Anthony and uh, Raven and Yesenia and David and Delilah, I was so encouraged and led me to worship God. God's made the first move. You've believed lies at some point in your life. And he wants to reveal his truth, his love, and his plan for your life. And that's the thing. God has a plan for your life because he loves you. His love can't be contained. He, his love is always looking to extend his family. And that's ultimately why Jesus came. Jesus, God himself in human form, came to testify to us and show us and pour out his love for you and me. So this love, God's love, will change your testimony So without further ado, we'll go to the passage now. Isaiah 8, chapter 16, uh, chapter 8, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 7. And then there's really three things that I'm going to point to about why God's love will change your testimony. The first is we'll look at faithful testimonies. Look at what people's lives look like that have been changed by God. And then we'll contrast that with faithless testimonies, people who don't know God and are wandering in life without him. And then ultimately, we will look at the true light which reveals God's plan for our lives. So come with me to the text in Isaiah, my first point here, faith-filled testimonies. Verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. Okay, so let's give a little context to what Isaiah is talking about and who the heck even is this guy. So first off, a testimony. I keep saying this word a lot. Maybe you, maybe you know it or don't know it, but it's simply just, it's a written or spoken statement or an expression We'll talk about testimonies more in a minute. But the, I, the prophet Isaiah, who's the one delivering this message from God, he, he lived about 700 years before Jesus. And he was sharing this message to God, to the people of Israel, who at the time were split in the two nations. There was the nation of Israel and the na- nation of Judah. Now this message, the one that Isaiah is telling them to bind up, to seal up this teaching, I'll summarize it for you, but if you look in the previous verses, 11 through 15, you'll find it. But he says, Isaiah says, do not follow the way of the world. Don't fear what they fear, because God is the Holy One. He's the one that's to be praised and to be honored. He says, God will be a holy and uniting place. He's saying that the two nations, again, will be a one, unified people. He says, however, this place that I'm building for you, Some people are going to reject this place. In fact, they're going to reject the very core of it, the cornerstone of this place, which is, we find out later, is Jesus himself. And because they reject him, they stumble and they fall. So let's read the passage again. He says, bind up this testimony, the one we've just summarized, and he says, seal this teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty, who dwells on Mount Zion. Bind up this testimony of hope and warning. Don't let it go. This is what Isaiah is begging of the people. God is sending a message through Isaiah ultimately because he loves them. He's telling them two things. One is that this is a testimony of hope, that there's a place of unity and refuge. But there's also a testimony of warning. He's saying, if you reject me, if you don't come to me, the reality is there's going to be destruction in your life. So that's why Isaiah says, please bind this. Hold on to it tightly, this message, because this message is going to change everything in your life for good or for bad. And then he goes on to say, seal up this teaching, this teaching of who is God and How, what impact does he have on me? I thought of this idea of, you know, something that's sealed. It keeps things on the outside out, and it keeps things on the inside in. Seems pretty obvious, but it's powerful in a sense. A seal, you know, nothing can get in and nothing can get out. This word that the Lord is giving us, he seals us so that we can face doubt and discouragement, and we retain the truth that he's given us, even though there's lots of things happening around us. Now, this is an easy thing to do, and Isaiah is saying, you got to wait for God. You got to trust in God. That's how we bind up these things is we wait for him, but it's not easy, and we see that Isaiah actually is saying this in a very difficult time. We see in verse 17 that God's face is currently hidden. Sometimes you might feel like that in your life. You're like, I don't really see God right now. But Isaiah is clinging to the fact that he has encountered God. And we know that he's encountered God because he makes a couple statements in there. He says things like, the Lord says to me, or God has given to me. And he remembers, he's sealed up those experiences with God, and he remembers that even when times are hard, I can wait on God because I know he's going to show up. I know I can count on God. So the question becomes then, well, what if you haven't encountered God? Or what if you don't remember A time where God interacted with you in your life. The cool thing is we see in verse 18 is that followers of Jesus, as they cling to Jesus and not to the world, they will be a sign and a symbol for the world for God. To the world for God. So if we know Jesus, if we've been impacted by him in our lives, just like Isaiah, we'll be signs and symbols to the people that are lost, that don't see God, that can't remember what he looked like, We actually reflect God's love to those people. I like in the another version of the text says um, that instead of using the word signs and symbols, it used the word a portent, which means more than it's more than just like a symbol or a representation, but it's a sign of something momentous and amazing to come. When our lives reflect Jesus, we point to. Not just Jesus, but the coming kingdom that He promises us. I'll dive into that in more in a minute, but I want to segue and ask you a quick question, and I promise this is going somewhere. What's the most reliable way to predict the weather, say one or two days in advance? Internet. What'd you say? <laughs> The weather channel, you could watch the weather channel, you could obsess over watching the local on the eights. You know, you could develop your own complicated forecasting model. But the reality is it's actually much simpler than this. You know, weather in the United States, it moves from west to east typically. So what you should do is you should call someone up a couple hundred miles west of here and say, hey, what's the weather looking like right now? Now, we're lucky enough to have a... uh, a couple hundred mile west resident in our midst this morning. My family's here, my mom and my dad and my sisters. Yeah, give a humble Park welcome. So I have many of these conversations with my family, particularly with my dad, because, you know, we talk about the weather. It's a good thing to do. And, um, but when my dad tells me, hey, it's snowing right now, or it snowed a little bit earlier this morning, I know that that means that tonight or tomorrow morning, I better put on my boots and grab my scarf because it's going to be snowing here. Seems like a silly example, but it points out this important fact that the testimony of a trustworthy person experiencing something firsthand is powerful and reliable. Now, I want to hit a couple things in that, what I just said. The testimony of a trustworthy person experiencing something firsthand is powerful and reliable. I want to focus on that word trustworthy at first. Now, the first thing, I don't know what you thought of when I said testimony, I thought of a courtroom. Out of testimonies in the courtroom, because they don't mess around with testimonies in the courtroom. You gotta have your stuff ready. You're either like a subject matter expert, where you know about the latest technology, or you're the forensics of this and that. You gotta have your stuff in order. You gotta be an expert. But if even maybe more important than being an expert, you need to have you need to be an eyewitness. You can't say, "Oh, I heard from so and so, who heard from so and so, who heard from so and so." the judge will nail his gavel on the, on, the, on the table there and he will say, hearsay, not accepted. Or the you know, opposing lawyer will say, objection, hearsay. It's not allowed. Bad testimonies in court are thrown out. So when my dad calls me and he tells me the weather, I trust him for many reasons. But also because it's not long after the that he tells me about the weather, I actually experience it too. And so he's gained trust. I've gained trust, you know, in many areas of the life with him, but particularly with the weather. He's really reliable. (laughs) So for our testimonies to be effective for God, we need to live holy lives. If my dad starts telling me it's going to rain and then the next three days it's sunny, I'm going to start to question his weather predictability. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but a lot of Christians today are not representing Jesus very well. Our purpose in life is not to glorify ourselves, maximize our economy or our bank accounts. Our purpose is to testify and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Now, hear me out. Nobody is perfect, but we must renounce and turn from sin when it happens in our lives for us to be credible witnesses to Jesus. Now in Ephesians 5, 8 through 13, this verse has really impacted my life. And it says here that, for, once you were, for, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But this is my favorite part. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. So we need to live carefully, as wise, not as unwise, but making good of every opportunity that God gives us to bring glory to his name. I love this. that says that when we shed light on our shortcomings, instead of hiding it and sweeping it under the rug and, you know, oh, we messed up. Let's, let's, you know, let's try to cover that up. No, when we shed light on our failures, God says, yes, they're exposed, but then he turns them into light. He turns the things that were dark into good things. Maybe you've experienced something hard in the past, and by, or someone else has experienced something hard in the past, and you saying, you know what, I experienced this thing. I was depressed, or I was this or that, or I was financially irresponsible, or whatever it might be. That might encourage somebody else to say, oh, that, I was that way too. And then you can connect, and then you can support one another and walk in God's truths together. The second thing, remember the statement, The testimony of a trustworthy person experiencing something firsthand is powerful and reliable. We just talked about trustworthy. Now, the second key part there is firsthand experience. There's no better firsthand experience than your life. When my dad calls me, it's powerful not just because I trust him, but because he's looking out the window and experiencing it firsthand. He sees the snow coming down. If I want to go take a trip somewhere, I want to decide a restaurant to go to, do I ask some random person on the street who has no knowledge of these things? Or do I ask someone that visited that city or has been to that restaurant? You ask people who have firsthand experience. What I'm trying to say is your story, sharing your life with somebody is really powerful. You know, I think often we are, we're drawn to transformational stories the you know God had to show up moments you know only he could do it and those are amazing and I I love highlighting how God had to do it there's just no other way you know I've been there in times of my life I was basically broke my credit card was maxed out I was eating my roommate's pizza crusts for breakfast often (laughs) you know I was tapping my CTA card and it's like please turn green please turn green okay good I got on the bus again today I was super depressed. You know, I had a bad job, all those things. But like I hung on to God by a thread and eventually he made a way. He made a way in my life. He's done that in so many of your lives. But I also don't want us to overlook the simple ways of following Jesus and what a testimony that can be. Just being yourself in whatever place God has placed you. Living an obedient, faithful life is more powerful than you think. It just, it contrasts with the world and, and you look different and people start to wonder. You never know how God may use you to impact someone's life. And the thing that I've been getting really excited about lately is thinking about this idea of there are moments that God may use you right now Or sometime this past week that was really small. You said some small thing to one person. and kind of was just like in passing. You don't even realize it. And that person didn't even realize it. But then three, four years down the road, they think back and they're like, wow, that was powerful. Wow, that moment actually kind of changed things in my life and I didn't even realize it. So just being the person that God has made you to be and walking in that can be really, really impactful in people's lives. It might not be now but it could be later. Nonbelievers are watching us, so we need to be faithful in all the little things, like I already said before. Being faithful to your spouse and your family. Telling, you know, a distant friend or family member you love them despite how they've treated you in the past. Maybe showing unnecessary acts of kindness to strangers or your coworkers or your friends. Whether you say something or not, the way you live your life in and of itself is a testimony. Now, don't hear me and think that that means that You're off the hook and you don't have to say things. Because Romans 10 clearly says, how will they know if they haven't heard the word of Christ? And it goes on to say that God is the one that sends us and empowers us to preach. So we need to use our words. Yes, use our life. Let it be an example. Let it line up with the words that we say. But we have to say words. We have to be bold and share who Jesus is in our lives. So bind up these faithful testimonies. Who does God say that you are I don't need if if we if God is the one that's accepted us we don't need acceptance from others I don't need we don't need to sulk in our past shames our stories needed to change and God changed them thank God and now it doesn't stop with you though he wants to change your families and your friends God has given you all the giftings the circumstances the people good or bad you need to share a powerful testimony right where you are all you need to do is trust him, put your hope in him, and God will use you as signs and symbols, just like he did with Isaiah and his family. Now let's contrast this. These are the faith-filled testimonies of what it looks like to live out a faith-filled life, but let's contrast it with the faithless testimonies, t- testimonies. If we go to our text here in 819 through 822, we see that a little bit of a contrast here. Now, We wonder, how do we really know? And this is what happens when things get hard, right? How do we really know when truth, what is truth when things get hard? Or how do we know what truth is when the devil is really cunning? I mean, we see it right from the beginning, right, with Eve. The, The serpent comes to her and he's like, did God really say that? I think what he means is this. He, he just he takes a nugget of truth, and then he, he warps it a little bit. So how can we be aware? How can we know these things? How do we know that we're testifying about the true Jesus? Well, the thing is, just like a mirror, we can only reflect what we're positioned towards, right? We always must be looking at Jesus. We must remember and constantly be engaging with the true God himself. Okay, so let's go to our passage now. I'm sorry. Some may say to you, in verse 19, some may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and their mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown into utter darkness. There are many types of testimonies in the world. People and companies and ideas are constantly calling out at us and pulling us in different directions. It says, those who don't speak of God in verse 20, a different, a different uh, translation says, they do not have the light of dawn. Now it's easy, this text tells us, to spot lost people because their testimonies reveal that when they face hardship, they wander aimlessly they're filled with rage, they curse at God, they're hopeless. Now I've been kind of fascinated with this idea of true light versus artificial light, and I'm sure many people have used this example before, but I thought of a bug zapper. You guys know those things? the Bugs fly and kills them. So bugs in the dark, they love light, right? If you've ever like forgot to turn your porch light on or something and you turn it on, all the bugs fly to it. Or if you're out with your friends and you light up your phone or you turn on a flashlight, all the bugs start swarming to you. When the bugs are in the dark they will rush to just about any light. Including that of the bug zapper. The bug zapper, which is going to kill them. They're like, I can't wait to get there. Death. (laughs) And this is It's a silly example, but that's like sin in our life and and false lights in our life. We we rush to them because we're in the dark and we're just looking for anything to give us guidance, anything to give us direction. And so often, unless it's the true light, the false light always kills us. When we're in the dark, we make mistakes and bad decisions. A quote from uh, one of my favorite books called The Severe Mercy there's a quote in there and he says, A man in the jungle at night may suppose a hyena's growl to be a lion's roar. But when he hears the lion's roar, he knows darn well it's a lion. I think in our impatience, in our ignorance, we, make, we mistake lesser things as lasting and fulfilling. Momentary things such as wealth and status the new iPhone, it's like, come on guys, we know the battery's going to die in 12 months and they're going to come out with a new one with like six cameras on it. It's these things, they're, they're momentary, but we get hooked on chasing one fleeting thing after another. C.S. Lewis summarizes this really well, I think. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak we're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. So I ask you, what is, what are the false lights that you run to in your life when you're Having moments of despair? Is it some form of self medication through you know, drinking or drugs or just watching TV, whatever it might be, or some way to self soothe yourself? Or is it bad relationships? You know, is it sliding into some DMs that you shouldn't? Texting uh, you up to that person you shouldn't, right? It's going back to ways that you know are destructive. Or maybe you just try to do it all on your own. You push everybody away. You're mean to your family. You're horrible to be around because you're like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. I'm going to do it. The outcome is clear for those who chase any counterfeit light. In verse 22, it says, They will look at the earth and see only distress and only darkness and fearful gloom. They will be thrust into utter darkness. When people pursue false light, momentary and fleeting pleasures, they will ultimately have no hope and they believe that their story cannot change. Now it's not all dark and gloom here. Isaiah's prophecy turns positive and this leads us to our third and final point of Jesus, the true light, revealing God's plan. Now in verse chapter 9, verse 1, we see Isaiah's prophecy turning towards this future hope. And a true light. He says, gloom and darkness over the world will not last because there is a hope that is coming. The people walking in darkness will see a great light. Those living in the land of darkness, deep darkness, a light has dawned. They will be an enlarged nation. Their joy will be increased. Their burdens will be lifted. Not just lifted, but it says they'll be shattered. And the weapons and tool of, tools of war, they'll be burned. They'll no longer be needed. Why is it? He says, well, in verse 6, and this is the reason for the Christmas season, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the governments will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This child that they're talking about is God himself. It's Jesus. It's the prophecy that 700 years later, Jesus would be born. I think it's really easy to kind of zoom past just like what it looked like for Jesus to be born on the earth. I was thinking, you know, my wife Jen is ready to pop a baby out here any day. And the thought of like sending the baby off to some, you know, dirty barn is pretty uh, not, not ideal. Let's just say that. But beyond that, it's not just like me thinking about a dirty barn. You know, I'm from Iowa, so those shouldn't be too bad for me. But God, the idea is that God was in perfect community with himself in heaven. And yet he loved us so much, he wanted to extend that community. And he said, you know what? We're going to leave this perfect thing. We are, we are in and of ourselves, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are perfect. But we want to bring in our creation To this family. Grown-up Jesus goes on to say in the book of John, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. We were separated from God. That's why Jesus came. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. It's the arrival of God coming in human form. And this set in motion the greatest redemption story of all time. Jesus, the Savior that we needed but didn't deserve. God is holy and we've lived unholy lives. We were destined to be banished from God. Jesus didn't come as some good teacher. No, he ultimately came to die for us so we could be reconciled to God himself. On the cross, Jesus bore all the sins So that God would no longer look at our failures. The price of heaven was far beyond our pocketbooks. But he paid the price that we couldn't pay. So when we admit that we can never do it on our own and instead accept Jesus' work, it's only then that our lives can be truly transformed. The cool thing is, and I kind of alluded to this before, is that once you have the light, others start to see the light in you. Isaiah, later in his book in chapter 60, says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, the light that God has given us, and the kings will come due to the brightness of your dawn. When God changes our story, Others can't help but see him in our lives. Hebrews 11 and 12 reminds us of this, that true testimonies and accounts, they just, they can't be ignored. And it's kind of like a highlight reel of the Old Testament in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And the writer starts with Abel, the, the son of Adam and Eve, and how, you know, in faith, he brought an offering to God to say thank you. And obviously that started a whole squabble with his brother. But then the stories of Enoch and Noah, Noah building the ark, even though it had never rained, and Abraham and his faithfulness to his family, and God's promises to him, and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Rahab, despite her occupation, decided to um, help God and their people, and she got to be a part of the line that Jesus came from. And he goes, "Should I?" The writer goes, "Should I go on?" I don't have time to tell you of David and Samson and so on. And he says in in chapter twelve, therefore. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Thousands of years worth of testimonies in the Bible he's just gone through. The dozens of testimonies of what God's done in this very room. The thousands of followers of Jesus around this city right now, shining bright, reflecting God's love in the city and around the world. The writer says, Let us throw off then everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the true light, the author and perfecter of our faith and our testimonies. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Life on earth earth can be really tough. There are false witnesses and fleeting things that all throughout the world which are trying to pull us in their direction, but we throw these things off that are temporary and that, that drag us down and try to draw us into these false lights because we can keep our eyes on Jesus, the true light that has been revealed, God himself. And when we keep our eyes on Jesus... His plan for us, our eternal reality, it starts to become clear. We start realizing what the true light is. And we start to realize what's the real thing that God has for your life. This testimony that you've been experiencing, it doesn't have to be that way. He has something better for you. I'll close with looking back to Isaiah's prophecy one more time, the verse 7. It says, of this child, Jesus, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. And from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It says that Jesus' kingdom, there will be no end. There will be lasting peace, justice, and righteousness forever. So the question is, and the question that people have asked for thousands and thousands of years When is this kingdom coming? When is Jesus' kingdom coming? Luke, one of Jesus' disciples, recounts uh, in chapter 17 of his gospel, the Pharisees asking Jesus this exact question. Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midsts. When John the Baptist preached about Jesus coming, he said the kingdom of God is coming near. And then Jesus quoted this actual passage of Isaiah from chapter 8 that we're talking about, and he said the kingdom of God is here. He said, people in darkness have seen a great light. Those in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Repent, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is brought to earth When we obey and praise God himself, because when we do those things, we're literally interacting with Jesus. These verses we just read, all of them are talking about the kingdom being near when Jesus is near. So if we're interacting with Jesus, we are experiencing a taste of heaven right now on earth. It's amazing. Heaven isn't just some place that we save up for and get to retire to. It's not some place that we get to rest in when we die. No, we can experience the realities of God's kingdom here on earth. And yes, I know we live on the earth, and there's moths that destroy and thieves that steal, but when we gather together in God's name and are worshiping him and living out lives that are pleasing to him, we taste the kingdom right here on earth. So the heart of heaven isn't just a physical place. It's unhindered, intimate relationship with God himself. We're able to look at him directly and shout his praise. So we live in this tension, this here but the not yet, right? We see the kingdom. We taste the glimpses of the kingdom. We experience it inwardly, but the world around us is still a mess, right? And so we bind up these testimonies. We cling to the fact that, yes, that's right. This kingdom is here. We can't experience it right now. We do cling to this truth that Jesus is the true light. So when we trust in Jesus, even though there's all these things going on the outside, he seals our testimony with the Holy Spirit. Some of you maybe have sealed up your own testimonies. You've said, my life is what it is. I've messed up too much. I made that one big mistake, and it just took me down a path. I could never come back from. And you say, my testimony is sealed. That's, that's who I am. I'll never change. But there is one. Jesus says he can break that seal. Jesus broke the, breaks the seal of all of our old testimonies. And he wants to give you a new story. One of redemption. He wants to seal you with his Holy Spirit. And Jesus says he's coming back once and for all. This earth is not forever our home. He says in, uh, John says in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death and no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. Without hope, without real hope that we can count on, our life is covered in darkness. We need to cling to Jesus, to look at what he's done through countless and trustworthy and firsthand testimonies throughout history. Look at the people's lives around us. Be encouraged by this body. Be encouraged by the people in your life that you know have experienced Jesus. And, and when you can't see God yourself, look to them and they'll help guide you back to the true light. Now God's timing, just like we saw in Isaiah, sometimes his timing is a little bit different. Sometimes it feels like maybe his face is hidden. And it, you know there may be trials that you're going through right now and you say, oh, Why, God? His face may be hidden for a moment, but you can always count on him. And the the reason why we know that is because he's loved us long before we loved him. He sent Jesus 2,000 years ago to prove to us as a testimony of himself that he loves you. Jesus came to the earth to invite us to be a part of his family, a part of his kingdom, As I said, to be in a a relationship with him where there's nothing in between. Sins that's not tangling us up and getting in between us. No, he wants us to be united with himself and his fellow, our fellow believers. To be his people and to glorify him in everything that we do. We're about to close here and um, we're going to have prayer partners available on the sides of, of the sanctuary here. Available to pray with you. Um, to talk with you, to assure you, to testify that God wants to change your life. God wants to change testimonies this morning. You may be realizing that the testimony that you've been living is not the one that God has planned for you. Your story is not meant to be meaningless, your story is not meant to lack purpose, to lack joy god is calling you to a better story and if you don't know what that is or even how to walk towards god that's why we're here we want to pray with you we want to talk with you we want to assure you of god's love for you in your life so regardless of what you've done where you've been you think the stains of sin in your life are permanent and they could never be removed jesus came to cleanse us to give us a new start a new story A new testimony that's white as snow. A testimony that doesn't point to all the bad things in the world, but points to the amazing glory of God himself. Jesus loves you. And because of this love, he came to the earth. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. He rose from the grave. And his love will change your testimony. And through that testimony, you'll change the story of lives around you my only question is will you let him let us pray jesus thank you again just that you have revealed true light to us god that we don't have to run after the things of the world god that we can taste you and know that you are so much better than the things of this world lord And so we praise you this morning, God. We worship you because you've changed our lives, you've changed our testimonies, and we know that you are gonna use us to change the testimonies of our family and friends around us. Lord, we love you, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.